Hello, and welcome to Digital Artcast, hosted by Gordon Neal. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Procreate, the most advanced painting app ever designed for a mobile device. We'll be discussing the app a little more later in the episode, as well as giving away a free copy. But for now, let's get started. Okay, and um, welcome back to Digital Artcast, guys. Um, as many times have I said that, you know, welcome back to Digital Artcast. Um, it's nearly been two years now since I started the podcast, and one of my initial goals when I started the podcast was to interview some of my heroes, and uh, I'm fortunate enough today to have one of them on, um, Mr. Scott Robertson. So thank you for joining us, Scott. Oh, hey, Gordon. Yeah, thanks a lot. And okay. uh, I don't know if I can live up to that now. You start me out with it. <laughs> The hero, the hero stars, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, that must be something you hear a lot, and yeah. then, you know, you stay humble to it, I suppose, but yeah, yeah totally, as much as, yeah, mm-hmm. but then again, that's you have had an influence on a lot of design concept from the last couple of years. I mean, you know, people at this point, you know, would probably hopefully know who you are, but um, you know, for anyone who doesn't, you know, just give a quick background into your you know, history, um, I know it's extensive, but even just a brief summarize of who you are and what you do. So, uh, sure. Yeah. I went to art center college of design in the late eighties mm-hmm. and, um, as an industrial designer. So I'm technically, I guess a car designer. It's what I graduated in, mm-hmm. but industrial design was always my, you know, in my, what I was educated in the skill sets and my passion. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's been, that was April of 90, I graduated. So I'm almost 28 years out, mm. which kind of makes me uh, nowadays one, <laughs> one of the senior guys in yeah. the, as it relates to like the entertainment world yeah. um, that, you know, still, that still draws and works at the computer occasionally, that sort of thing. So it's kind of interesting to have been around, you know, when I graduated, there were almost no concept art jobs like it wasn't a viable industry you, you, there, there were no programs educationally for it um yeah. and that's why if you look at into the background of like senior concept art people a lot of them uh came out of industrial design yeah no i've, I've found that has been the case because um i know you just watching recently your art station talk again was um you talked about how the the infancy of the industry because you know people were saying or you know or people would say the jobs are saturated and the industry is saturated but you're saying you know look at the music industry you know talk about saturation so yeah like we are still on the cusp and i think you and a couple of the guys like um like craig mullins um and that you know kind of forged the path um for what concept art is today really industrial design um and games and movies is today um and have you found that you know, do you still feel we're in the emphasis stage? Do you think it's still a growing industry? Uh, yeah, I definitely think it's still growing um, because there's so many more platforms now. Um, you know, originally there was uh, not much in the way of platforms. Mm-hmm. And and you didn't, and you know, like the games industry, nobody on the concept art was even interested in games because the low resolution of the games, nobody wanted to be involved with those uh, doing artwork. 
mm-hmm. because like, oh, that just, you know, it doesn't look good in the end. So it didn't attract like top talent. So yeah. only the movies were, had the budgets and the technology to sort of realize the, the level of the artwork yeah. um, visually. Yeah. And so those would be the only projects that would appeal to people. And I guess I mean I remember hearing yeah. that. Oh no, on you go, Scott. Oh no, just then there then there came online like consoles, but then you know not very long ago then there's like the iPhone came out, so now we have smartphone platforms, then we have the tablet platform. Yeah. So you know it just keeps growing and growing. Oh totally, and I was just going to say that you know I heard a, a story long ago, and I think that was quite true, and I could believe it that um, before you know concepting was a real thing the guys in the studio who could draw the best so if it was an animator or a sound guy you know if they could if they were proficient in art they were just given the task of basically you know doing most of the art for the video game um yeah it, was, it wasn't a specialized job is what i'm getting at you know it's, it's only just became um specialized and i would even say the last you know six or seven years uh, maybe since 2010 even when there was a kind of boom and the the sexiness of games you know they, they came into the the realms of reality um yeah was, yeah and there's still been like, uh, you know, the real trend there aesthetically was to pursue uh, photo real, you know, uh, visuals, yeah. like all the big AAA titles. And it's still sort of the mainstream trend, which is to try and, you know, pursue the, the highest quality photo realism. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the occasional stylized one that's, you know, more original and yeah. much more sort of, I would say, stylistically in alignment with the process of doing feature animation. Um, but generally speaking, it's all a sort of photoreal um, pursuit. Yeah. And so a lot of that you know, was driven, and a lot of video game companies were driven by the engineering departments. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and art was really secondary when those things started. Um, now it's become more important. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. it's still you know, a very much sort of software engineer-driven industry. Yeah. And I mean, again, I think even again, harking back to earlier things you talked about, where you talk about um, the difference between you know, concept art and concept design, you felt there was, like, you know, to, you, you touched on the animation side, you felt that there was almost two branches of, of, of design now where you have the super photorealistic stuff and the animation yep. side that is stylized. Um, do you see those as, as still separate things or do you think there's more overlap now? Or I think, you know, because the, the industries have become more mature, I think mm-hmm. there's more opportunity for people to specialize. Yeah. So... Um, in the past, you couldn't find, let's say, a singular, or it's more difficult to find a singular full-time job that was in one specific style, especially if you wanted to be freelance. You know, yeah. there just wasn't enough work. Mm-hmm. So you might have a broader skill set um, yeah. where you did kind of a little bit of everything. So you're like a better all-rounder, right? Yeah. Like you would, you would do some environment, but you could also help on character. You could do some props, maybe some vehicles. Yeah. But nowadays it's become mature enough that you could probably, you know, you can go out and get a full-time job. If, especially if you're freelance, you could actually start to specialize. Yeah. Um, and now I think students actually, they tend to, um, you know, prioritize in their portfolio. They maybe still have good, they should always at least have good all around skills. Yeah. But then within that, they have their favorite subject and that's where they're trending towards. Well, I can sort of do a bit of everything uh, to a competent level. Mm-hmm. But really love doing, you know, stylized animation, and so you know their their lead out, let's say, portfolio pieces or projects will mm-hmm. will target, you know, trying to get that specialized job. Yeah, a hundred percent, I agree with that. Yeah, and again, just going back to, you know, coming out of the art center, you know, I think even in an element of you talked about the graduate you set it up or you set up, sorry, uh, I should do with one of your friends at the time. 
um, to, to try and do industrial design freelance. Um, what was the early days for you working in that studio as a young designer? Um, did you find that you were, you know, as you talk about a general kind of all, you know, jack of all trades, or did you aim your design kind of towards more specialized work? No, we did, because um, I, I started an industrial design consultancy with Neville Page right after we graduated, uh, like the summer of 90. Yeah. And we had already uh, picked up a couple of freelance clients uh, doing internships while we were at Art Center. Right, yeah. So we sort of knew in our last year that we wanted to launch a studio together. Mm-hmm. Um, and we said, well, if we're going to do that, we definitely need some clients. Mm-hmm. So we tried to spin our internships that we had both done, like in our last year of school, or our last two years of school, mm-hmm. uh, spin those relationships into um, clients that we could uh, provide design services to them via an independent studio. Right. Okay. Yeah. So it was not. It was not in the days we could go out and do an entertainment design studio um, that yeah. really didn't exist at that time. So we were doing uh, industrial design, and my focus was more sort of styling side, so transportation designer. And Neville was he was a product designer. Yeah. So um, to be honest, when you're just starting a studio, you do any job you can get, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> you're not when you do when you start and launch a design consultancy. Yeah. Your your concern is keeping the lights on. Um, yeah. Uh-huh. So I think you know that was that was definitely the mentality. And as a result, you need to show sort of as to increase your job opportunities. Mm-hmm. Having a broader portfolio uh, was definitely better. But of course, it had to be a broad portfolio up to a certain skill level. Yeah. Right. So that's always the challenge: is that if you try to do too many things. You maybe don't get it to focus on each subject enough yeah. to get really proficient. So it's always going to be, you know, at a certain point, you'll, you may just have to like face the music and say, all right, this is a skill set that I'm not going to pick up. Yeah, right. Definitely. And so that one that's, that's not going to go in our portfolio. It's not what we do well. Yeah. Uh, don't, obviously, I don't have an interest in doing that subject well. And that might be like model building or, um, you know, using Illustrator versus using Photoshop. Yeah. You know, at the time, it was those sort of decisions. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, we definitely you, you start to hone in what you're good at, what you like to do, and then mm-hmm. hopefully there's a market there, right, that mm-hmm. wants those skills. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's, <clears throat> that's part of the journey I'm going through just now with um, with the emphasis that I'm in just now with my career. And I think because there's so many things that are easily accessible, I say easily accessible, not easy to learn, but you know, there is a wealth of knowledge for different programs. And I think there's almost a temptation with a lot of young students I've found to want to learn everything. You know, um, you want to do composite in a nuke, you want to do Photoshop, you want to do 3D environments in Maya, um, you want to do After Effects, you know, the, and you can have a kind of broad sense of those skills across a, a whole kind of gambit. But um, I think specialization is a, is a key sk- a key skill. Um, and I found also that there's, there's a huge conversation that's you know kind of raged for years, and it's, it's specialization versus generalization, and, and which you know warrants more work or better results. Um, yeah, yeah, it, it's tough. It's tough, and you know it, it it's a double-edged sword basically yeah. because it everybody if you're a specialist, then you'll be at the top of your game and sort of you know get a lot of offers to do that very specific thing that you love to do. Mm-hmm. But if you don't do it to a super high level, like top 10% in the world, then you really limit your options. So I think it's a really 
it's a dangerous thing to specialize um, unless you're super confident and you know that you stack up well against the other people in the world trying to specialize in the same subject. Because the thing is, there are very few of those jobs that will allow you to specialize. Uh, And so I would always say there's, I would say do a balance. Like you need your base skills. Like, well, here's an example. Yeah. When we were in school, we had really extensive model building classes, right? Mm-hmm. So we'd, we'd do clay sculpting. We do. We had wood shop. We had, you know, we'd learn how to use a vertical mill. Um, we'd have all those sort of things. And in a way, we always considered the shop skills as our fallback. Right. That we we knew we had proficient model building skills, and mm-hmm. every industrial design studio has a model shop at that time. Right. So. If you couldn't find your, say, favorite specialized concept job, yeah. doing concept design, like everybody wanted to do advanced concepts, right? So everybody wanted to go to an advanced concept studio. At that time, it was usually for car companies in California. Mm-hmm. And if you couldn't get that job, it's like, okay, what are you going to do now? Yeah. So uh, because those jobs are very hard to come by. Mm-hmm. So I always thought a, a balanced portfolio was better. Um, one, it shows employers that you have broader interests beyond just your singular um, focus. Yeah. Also, you have a fallback skill set. So yeah. for us, the fallback skill set was uh, drawing, right? Uh, photoreal rendering, using traditional media at the time, but it was competent rendering, yeah. right? And it was model building. Those right. were three things that every studio needed an arm right to do those things like i i knew as a fallback i could always go to a model shop and you know sand a sand bondo or paint a model you know so that yeah. was kind of always in the back of your mind you're like okay if this all fails on my specialization you know hunt yeah i know i can go build models right yeah. i know i could go be a layout person or do drawings so right. yeah uh, that's kind of your fallback yeah and then again um I don't know if it's different. Obviously, at the time you were at Art Centre, your, your education might have been similar to um, what I'm going through just now, but we find that there's a general broad range of skills. Probably, well, degrees here are different. So we do an initial kind of three years of a, of a BA or a Bachelor's of Arts or Bachelor of Science in my case, and then a fourth year's an honours, but you kind of specialise in that last year. Were you yeah. guys the same? Did you kind of pick a specialisation towards the end of your, your degree? Yeah, I think all good educational programs are structured that way. So about, say, two-thirds to three-quarters of your education is all on foundation. Right. right? Yep. And those foundation skills are the bankable skills, let's say, mm-hmm. right? Because you know that every studio in the world, whether it's industrial design, entertainment, right, there's a certain set of core skills, mm-hmm. and that makes you employable to any of those studios, mm-hmm. um, no matter what the subject matter is. This would be cars, products, right? There's just like a core set that you can visually communicate, you're a good problem solver, you've got good styling skills, you know how to do market research, like there's all these sort of basic skill sets. Yeah. Uh, and they, they revolve around hand skills, but also problem solving um, and understanding the process. Um, and you can apply that to many, many, many subjects. Right. Then uh, we have what was called a senior project. Mm. And the senior project was usually your last year of school, your foundation work is done, um, like our program was an eight term program, two terms a year. Right. And, um, so you'd say the first six terms, five or six terms were going to be foundation. And then your last, you know, two or three mm-hmm. were all about your senior project. 
And that's where like take all your foundation skills and knowledge mm-hmm. and you apply it to your dream job. Right. Yeah. So I totally encourage people to take a shot at it, mm-hmm. but don't take the shot like starting in your very first term of education. Yeah. Don't undermine your foundation skills by not having an open mind to those other skill sets. Yeah. Uh, because it's really nice to have those to lean on. Um, you know, because also trends change, right? So there may be a hot market for your specific aesthetic or what you love to do right when you graduate. Yeah. But it doesn't mean like three or four or five years down the road that that same market's going to be there. Yeah. And that was interesting, I think, as well, because um, moving through Art Center, you know, you talked about when you left, you didn't want to probably go towards automotive straight away. So um, at the time when you were doing your degree, were you always having a vision on entertainment or did you want to cover... Um, you know, something else apart from automotive? Because obviously I think at the time industrial design was mostly focused on cars, right? Well, I mean, no, product and transportation were pretty much equal. Right. Um, in, in, and probably even product design probably had more uh, companies out there because you could work for a freelance consulting firm or you could go in-house. Um, yeah. So definitely more products than cars. Right. Um, but there was no entertainment. So <laughs> um, one of my classmates tried to pursue it uh, Nick Pugh, he pursued it, um, and and he went out and he found an effects company, right, Rhythm and Hughes, and and got a job there. But you had to be have really great illustration skills in addition to being a good designer. Oh, uh, yeah. and, and you know there was no digital rendering at the time, so uh, it was it was a very very different job. Still very much very hands on, lots of drawing, lots of you know marker rendering, um, that sort of thing, gouache, etc. Mm. So. It was a different different period, and it was not really a viable, you know, job option at the time. Yeah. So it was, I was just mainstream industrial design. Yeah. So I take it, you know, when you've pursued different projects throughout the years, uh, has your portfolio um, been a balance of entertainment design and industrial, or have you probably favored yeah. it over? No, I think early in my career it was definitely all industrial design um, until uh, about the first five years. And then my portfolio really switched to education. Right. So uh, I went to work teaching at Art Center um, at the European campus in Switzerland in 95. All right, wow. So I was 28 at the time, and I graduated, you know, it was five years out of school. And then one of my, uh, Neville and I, one of our favorite teachers of the time, uh, when we were at Art Center, he had gone over and he was the provost over at the European campus. So he hired us both to come over and teach. Right. Uh, and that's when we really started getting into teaching foundation courses, mm-hmm. uh, which really sharpened our own foundation skills as well. Yeah. Like if you ever really want to do a deep dive and understand a subject matter, mm-hmm. just try to teach it. So <laughs> once you're asked to teach it, yeah. then you're like, oh, I better figure this out a little bit deeper. Yeah, because right? obviously you've had a talk about where when you're teaching someone, you always almost have to put it in slow motion sometimes because you're so proficient at at the, the task, you know, you have to try and slow it down to teach someone, you know, in real time. Yeah. And a lot of it's about repetition as well. So you have to be okay with telling something, you know, explaining something, you know, nine times. Yeah. And that's just part of the process. So, yeah. you know, if you don't have the sort of uh, patience for that and to try and communicate it at a really, you know, and I'm not saying sim- it's, it's a simple level, but it's not simple because um, the subject's simple. It's simple because, um, it's new information to someone, 
Yeah. You know, and when it's new information, that's the, always the thing you, you know, a lot of instructors get bored teaching simple subjects like the foundation skills, like perspective drawing or basic shading. Yeah. And say the third or fourth time they've taught that class, they're starting to personally get bored with repeating the same subject matter. Mm. Uh, but what they you tend to forget is that what's changing each time you teach it is that you have a new group of students. Um, and so it's always brand new to that group of students. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and that's why it's hard to be honest, to control, um, educational consistency mm. to in a curriculum. Like if you're running a department and you're running a school yeah. and to keep your foundation skills that are really high level, yeah. uh, the skills don't actually change, which means you need to have somebody who's willing to teach that like it's brand new. Yeah. To every student. Exactly the same. Right. Cause you want that to be exactly the same every single time it's taught. Yeah. Exactly. And that's, it's really hard to find those people. Um, those, those good teachers that can have a passion and an energy mm-hmm. for the same subject matter, uh, term in and term out. Um, yeah. and realize that what the difference is, the difference is the, the individuals in the room mm-hmm. yeah. and that, that's, that's tough from a management standpoint. Yeah, and I think it's it's a difficult thing where a lot of the people I've seen who are passionate and want to teach are usually reluctant to go back to teaching because they want to obviously because that they want to exclude that passion in a project they want to go into work in a studio or working on a gig, and again with you having a passion for design and and, and illustration at the time, you know, and because you've you know you've went to art center you know you've helped send studios write their diploma program you know you've you've been in education and involved in education as a kind of big chunk of your career so. What is it about education that that drew you to it? Was it was it a feeling of giving back? Did you just like helping people? Was there a mix or? No, uh, there's like a there is a mix, and it I think it has to do with um, I have a little bit of family history in education. So my dad uh, was a teacher for a long time, right? Um, but he's also a practicing uh, illustrator and, and fine artist, right. and he would also teach figure drawing and illustration classes um, at some of the Oregon State universities. Yeah. And so at that level, I had a, I always had sort of a knowledge of it. And yeah. then if, it, if I, and then as I did some family research, I found that even further back, some of our, my relatives also were involved in education. Was that the Scottish so, ones? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. My great, great, let's see, how many greats? Let's see. Uh, dad, grandfather, great, great, great grandfather uh-huh. came from uh, Glasgow. Wow. And, my great great grandmother came over with him was from edinburgh oh, wow. so yeah. i have on, on both sides they both were from there uh-huh. um and i'm only like three what four generations back yeah yeah we help start your country a lot of people don't know that <laughs> exactly yeah well it's all that the brilliant engineering knowledge that came out of scotland we just we stole that as it came over so yeah yeah no there's a lot of things that came from scotland i think um I even the invention of the tv which people which blows people's minds because it's such a huge part of your american culture the tv so. i know oh no there's just like a, this amazing list of inventions that came out of the you know from scottish inventors it's fun it's fantastic because yeah. i visited as you know when i was there about two years ago i visited a bunch of museums yeah me and Scott um, met for the first time in the Edinburgh Museum um, in the main drag and um, yeah, sat and talked design while they signed my How to Draw book. Um, yeah, that was an interesting, uh, an interesting afternoon. Shout out to Doug as well, who was there, the other guy. Um, we've we've conversed since we we kind of met up that day. But uh, oh, good, good. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so the, the Scottish roots kind of bled into your family through teaching. But um, I remember actually hearing I think one of your early interviews where you talked about your dad. 
um, buying you and your brother, I think, was it, um, sketchbooks at Christmas and telling you to fill them constantly? Yeah, exactly. Yep, yep, that happened. That was one of our yearly gifts, which is at Christmas, a new sketchbook. Yep. Um, and we didn't have a lot of pressure that, you know, if we didn't do it, you know, we get whipped or something. So <laughs> <laughs> it was up to us, right? So it was really that we had all the creative exposure and yeah. access to some of the tools, but yeah. it was never, really, it wasn't really pushed on us. So I, I tended towards it more than my brother did. Right. Um, and then the other thing too is that I was a little bit bored with the you know typical product design or car design. Um, mm. In that, I wasn't really that excited about making more stuff mm. um, at the time. And so I saw a way that through education and teaching that I could stay connected to the process and the invention part of doing design work. Right. And that's what I loved more than anything. Yeah. And so I loved the mental exercise of doing the research, trying to align with a user group that was not yourself, yeah. and then trying to invent solutions for those groups of people. Yeah. And so um, teaching allowed me to be connected to the process without the end result of creating more stuff that, you know, in a lot of cases just ends up in landfill. Yeah, totally. No, I can understand that. And yeah, I think that's a it's almost a tough subject, like you said, because you're trying to reinvent that almost all the time to a new a new audience. Um, and then you know, I think that kind of brings us on to our next subject quite well, which is um, a thing that I've experienced. I think because I'm probably almost smack dab in the middle of the process of um, a brick and mortar education in a school versus um, a lot of the online learning that's now exploded. You know, guys like uh, Mache and Ash and and uh, Mark, you know, moving stuff into Learn Squared and CubeBrush and um, obviously Sin Studios, um, a, a lot of people like that, Nomon, uh, Schoolism, these things have just, you know, in the last five or six years exploded um, on the yep. internet. Um, and I suppose you have an experience of both. Um, and again, like I say, as you know, earlier when we were talking about it, you know, looking to demonize schools or anything, but you, how do you feel the future is now shaping between those two sets of schools, one being brick and mortar and one digital? Um, I know it's not an easy question to answer, but (laughs) I think that, you know, there's, there's pros and cons on both sides. Yeah. So, um, I would say that, you know, there's no ideal path. Um, it's different for different individuals. Yeah. I think it's fabulous for, uh, people that are interested in the subject matter that now they have the resources, no matter where they live in the world. Um, they have the access has gone way up. Right. So I, and I know a lot of students around the world who've, who've like picked up, uh, my two textbooks and watched a bunch of other videos. Maybe they chime in on, they take classes on, you know, schoolism or other online things like Noman. And they've been able to develop enough of a portfolio to actually go out and get a job and launch a career yeah. um, in this subject matter. So I know that it actually works yeah. um, remotely. And now with places like ArtStation, right, you, they have job postings every week. And so yeah. you can actually learn remotely, build a portfolio and network, um, on a place like ArtStation and actually, you know, launch a career. Yep. Yep. Now, uh, that said, that is a much steeper learning curve and a much tougher path than if you join a bunch of like-minded individuals in a classroom setting, all mm. striving to accomplish the same goal. Yeah. So, um, I think that's the strength of sort of brick and mortar programs is the networking and relationships that you establish um, with people, other people that will also be working professionals. Mm, yeah. And you're going to get almost everybody I know, to be honest, in the entertainment industry gets their jobs because of the network 
Um, not because they had a, an amazing portfolio up online and they got it sort of cold call style. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So it, it really still is very much uh, sort of who you know mm-hmm. network. That's why the network still has a huge amount of value yeah. versus just learning those skills online. Um, and there are ways to break into that network you know, online as well by mm-hmm. you know, social media, et cetera. But it's tough. It's much, much tougher than if you enroll somewhere. Um, and also, it takes a lot longer to learn those skills when you don't um, when you don't have somebody critiquing your work on a weekly basis. The reflection, yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, the critique is a really big, big part of learning what is the job like when you're working in a studio. Yep. Um, and that's something that if you're developing a portfolio by yourself, mm. is you can't replicate. Um, and you could say, oh, I got an online cr- critique from these people. You know, it's like, you know, it's different. You know, it's different yeah. than a face-to-face. Yep. Um, and then it's different than a face-to-face where you're asked to make changes and come back a week later, and then those changes are critiqued, yes. right? And then you, do that, then you do that for 14 weeks in a row, and you do it for like four years in a row, mm. right? Yep. Then the, the sort of level of intimacy you have with the creative process and how not to take critiques personally. Yeah. Uh, I think it, it professionalizes your, the presentation of your work and your ideas. Yeah. And not only that, you practice presenting your work to a group of people in person. Yeah. And that can't be underestimated either. So oh, yeah. I think those are like, they're like things that don't show up when you're looking at that, uh, just learning the skills. You know, people tend not to talk about all the peripheral things that really are key in landing and keeping a job and establishing positive relationships and contributing, you know, to the success of a team. Yep, 100%. Yeah, and I think that's <clears throat> something I experienced when I, when I interned at Access Studios in Glasgow um, because my career in the entertainment industry before then had just been through education and talking to people online. But I think the, 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 the day-to-day being in a studio, it does drive you further um, uh, and I think it's something like you said you can't experience when you're when you're learning online, where you know you're almost you know I've, I've heard so many guys who who worked you know freelance for years and then they go into a studio and when you're sitting next to the guy you know across from you and you're looking at his monitor, looking at the work he's doing, then it's and it's better than yours. It then drives you to push to do better work, and that's something that yeah. you don't really get with an online learning facility where you're in this bubble almost of your own work, right? Yeah, yeah, I, yes, it's true. Um, that said though, it's incredible to have the online resource, which didn't even exist, you know, at all when I was in school. So now it's, it's amazing that even though it's, it's a different experience, Mm -hmm. it can still get you through, um, you know, a big chunk of the foundation skills can be mastered outside. Um, cause 'cause that stuff just doesn't, doesn't change to be honest. It's either right or it's wrong. And, And, um, that is again, you know, better to have a group or a mentor situation where somebody can correct that stuff. And that's why I think like a schoolism online program is really a really high end experience Yes. where you get, you get critiques on every assignment you do. Yeah. Um, so I, I would look, if you're going to try and do it all online, uh, look for that high level experience of yeah. the feedback loop. The feedback loop is critical. Yes. Um, yeah. Building your skill sets. And so Look for that one if you're going to try to don't don't only go and if you can only afford the free one, fine, just go and and just soak it all up and do as much as you can. But at some point, you've got to get uh, community, 
you know, exposure. Behind you, yeah, yeah. And I think that's it's also good where, um, uh, I think it's mixed as well with, with places like 10,000 Hours and Level Up where you can obviously have that thing, you know, posted out to the mass and then get feedback. But um, I think it's difficult in those respects as well because a lot of these places, um, not everybody you're getting critique from um, is a critique that's warranted because they sometimes aren't in a professional position or haven't had any industry experience. It's more just a general um, general feedback kind of thing. So I think what's good about these specialised courses in places like Schoolism and Learn Squared is you're then interfacing with um, people in the course or the guy who's teaching the course or girl who is you know, specialised in that field. Um, like I know Max Berman, who I spoke to not long ago in the podcast, he you know just recently launched last year uh, a map painting course on Learn Squared and part of the experience was the mentorship where you know he would give you your weekly assignments and then he would be feeding back critiquing that and because he's an industry vet you know he that that you know you know you know that response and that critique is is high level because because he's high level you know what i mean so well and not only that he he will critique you with context so yes. for instance he would maybe give you a very specific assignment and maybe there was a time constraint to it right yeah. And then um, even though you might write that in the description and you post it up to a community site looking for feedback, yeah. nobody's really going to take that into account when they critique your work. Yeah. And so you're going to get all these critiques that uh, maybe are totally irrelevant because you did it fast, right? right. So yeah. they're critique you just based on what they're seeing, but not in the full context of what you were you asked to do. Yep. Um, versus the person that actually gave you the assignment, they're going to know the context yeah. And so I think it's it's really difficult to find great feedback, um, you know, online. Yeah. No, it's it's a hundred percent. It's it's um, I think. And, I, and not I'm not talking like the broad. I'm talking broad online, like just with open communities, not the focused focused online. Of course, with a mentor and instructor is totally different. Yeah, totally. And I I think it's it's one of these things, Scott, where I find that um that answer was great obviously but I, I think it's it's one of these things that you talked about how there's a personal journey and i think it's it's more seen now time and time again where you know fellow people i've interviewed in this podcast no one has the same origin story so everyone has got to the the place where they are now at, through a different path like there's no yep, one defined yep. means yeah like even max berman talked to him i remember him talking about when he opened an actual phone book and just phoned every studio in the phone book till he got to the zeds so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, th that's something that, you know, I've only heard through him. You know, I've, no ever, I've never heard of people picking up a phone. Yeah, and I've heard of other people that just, yeah, they put together a portfolio, they come to L.A., and they just start knocking on doors. So yeah. I definitely know people that have been through that same path. Yep. Um, but, you know, it's interesting. There's lots of different ways, and, and it's important for people to understand that there are lots of ways to all end up in the same studio together. Yeah. So, um, you know, I agree completely. There's not just one way. Um, yeah. But there definitely you can help yourself um, by picking, you know, smarter ways, let's say. Yeah, so there's the, the model kind of that a lot of people know, whereas it's not work hard, it's work smart. So, yep. you know, you don't have to pull 12-hour days if the six hours you learn is efficient. You know what I mean? Like, there's there's paths where you can waste a lot of time. I think uh, I was listening to a guy, um, Shadi Safari, who worked out in Naughty Dog. He was saying that there's a, there's a talk he does called, the, I think it's the rule of increasingness increasing awesomeness where he talks about how you know you can get to a specific point of painting and, and skills without doing stuff like you know like photo bashing or 3d um and and that traditional route can also work but those skills will help you get to that point quicker so um the smarter working nowadays i think is what's more sought after than just the the grinding long hours um 
Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. There's no like process police. Yeah. They're, like walk around the studio and say, oh, you can't do it that way. You can't work faster. You know, you know, <laughs> yeah. you, need to, you need to do it the old way. Oh, yeah. It's going to be slower and takes, you know, a greater set of, um, you know, hand skills or something. Yep. No, it isn't that. It's a romantic idea. Yeah. But for production, it's not a realistic idea. So, yeah. um, but you will see that that with all the shortcut ways of doing things, yeah. it's no coincidence that the people that usually have the best end result mm-hmm. also have the best foundation skills. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a huge thing. I mean, you could probably talk about that forever, but, you know, even just briefly, um, foundation skills. I mean, you know yourself, you publish two books in them. How important are they? You know what I mean? Yeah, well, I think it's just it's a way of thinking and visualizing actually. So if, if you have to use traditional media, for instance, and there's no command Z, there's no, um, there's no layers. Um, (laughs) you have to actually pre visualize the image in its end result in order to build it with the medium. That's really unforgiving. Yeah. So what I mean by that is like sketching with a black Sharpie, you know, ink pen on a white piece of paper. Oh yeah. Right. You have to pre-visualize the line before you commit to the line because as soon as you commit to it, you're done. Yep. And it's actually the benefit of doing that drawing is actually uh, making those connections in your brain to pre-visualize the result. Yes. And then it doesn't matter what tool you use after that. What matters is that you've made those mental connections yeah. to start to pre-visualize how thing is, something is built, yep. how it looks, how it will appear on an image. Um, and that's actually the real advantage of learning those difficult skills. Yeah, definitely. And I think I saw, um, yeah, before I actually kind of initially heard of you, I was watching the FCD channel on, on YouTube, Feng, and Feng, uh-huh. you know, yep. talk, talks about, yeah, one of your students, he talks about the process of, of not erasing and using a biroll at the time to get solid lines down and, you know, not mucking about with your sketches, keeping them loose. Um, and I think it's all a foundation of what you taught, right? It's, it's that, that process of being confident in your line work um with design. yeah yeah i mean you know the line work and all that stuff comes later but it's really just you know it's thinking on paper right and that and it's just fast problem solving yeah then yeah. it's super unforgiving right and that and that's the fun thing about the way we were talking earlier about the inktober stuff before we started recording today yeah. but that's the that's the exercise as well of that is that you know trying that's a if you're doing traditional inking mm-hmm. usually you have a pencil under underdrawing or something and so yeah that becomes much more about the hand skills of inking. But if you just straight up sketch with, you know, black ink, yeah, it will really force you to pre-visualize. Yeah. Yeah. And again, uh, we'll probably just, what we'll do now is um, take a short break. Um, we'll hear from our sponsors, which is Procreate and uh, we'll get back into it. Great. Now at Digital Artcast, we'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor Procreate. Procreate is an Apple Design, award-winning digital painting and illustration solution designed exclusively for iOS. Procreate allows you to create professional-grade artworks wherever you are with an advanced dual-texture brush engine, a robust layering system, and groundbreaking canvas resolution, all for only £9.99. You can find Procreate 4, the new release through the App Store on your iPad, or learn more at www.procreate.art. Remember to leave a comment on YouTube or leave us a review on iTunes to be in with a chance of winning a copy of Procreate 4 for free. That's right, free. Thanks again to the Procreate team for sponsoring our podcast. Now, back to the episode. Um, yeah, and so we're back. Um, 
So thanks again to Procreate for sponsoring the podcast. Um, and yes, Scott. So um, yeah, Inktober was was a an interesting time for you because um, I mean I've actually I've been trying to get Jake Park on uh, Jake Parker on the on the podcast for a while to talk about him. You know, kind of bringing Inktober to life. But oh yeah, that'd be great. That'd be a really cool podcast. You should oh, do that. One hundred percent. Try to get that that nailed down. Um, but yeah. So um, but yeah, the thing he always talked about was the consistency it gave people of doing a task every day. Um, and obviously you've just recently published a book um, of your last two years worth of, of Inktober's um, so what drew you to it initially or, or kind of how has your take been on the Inktober challenge well I'm, I mean I, t- I came at it a little bit different angle because of the I'm not a comic book guy so I'm not really right. into the you know the inking skill set was yeah. not what drew me to it what drew me to it was the um, setting a goal for a period of time and then trying to meet that goal um, okay. and then of course it was drawing, uh, you know, specific. So that was, that was appealing because yeah. there's, you never stop learning and you never stop trying to strive to, to take your craft to the next level. Yeah. And so having a, a community and sort of a collective consciousness about trying to focus on your skills, mm-hmm. um, for a period of time and push them to a new level, that was really what was most appealing. Um, mm-hmm. So I did all my work in ink, but I, I would use, you know, this more my set of tools that I would like more, which was like, you know, do a, a very light marker block in um, and then pick up an ink pen to work on top of that. So, right. yeah. but they were, they're all still permanent ink marks. It's just yeah. a slight different set of tools. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, and in my, and mine were more like design sketches that were exploring versus having you know, a pencil design drawing and then inking it as an inking sort of illustrative style. Right. Yeah. I, I wasn't as interested in the illustrative style as I was the daily routine yeah. of trying to meet a goal. Yeah. So I think that was the fun part was trying to, to, to see if I could do that, mm-hmm. um, and establish that routine. And then, um, what the nice thing that comes out of that, if you can do it is that you have this nice sense of accomplishment, you know, at the end of a month. Yep. And I always knew in the back of my mind, hey, this is original content that I own, which is fun, um, that in the future date, then I could publish into a little sketchbook. So it's twofold. One, I think it, on the originality side and ownership side, it's you're not trying to to derive creative satisfaction from your day job. Yep. So you are your own art director. Uh, you get to, to pick any direction and subject matter and thing that you want to explore in your drawings. Mm. That's really a fun exercise. And I think everybody should have a little bit of that um, because on the production side, the real day job is not that. The real day job is a yes job, mm. right? Yes, it's creative. It's fun. You get to use, you know, it's better than digging a ditch, that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. job. You know, it's a good job. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you're still creating a product for you know, maybe a large company and, you know, that large company has shareholders and all those decisions you make in the studio are about the success of that product. Um, and when you try to make that daily, uh, job, your only source of creative satisfaction. Um, I know a lot of people that get very, very frustrated with trying to get that to happen. Yeah, 100%. I think it was recently as well where I undertook a challenge um, similar to Inktober where, um, you know, my, my kind of dream job is working at Blizzard. So I made myself a challenge of um, studying one of the Hearthstone cards or the illustrations every day for, um, you know, a whole month. Um, and I managed to do it. 
and um, I found even that skill set, it, it was producing me or making me sorry, um, you know, do something every day, and it, it almost driven it had driven me more to do more work every day. You know, once I finished my study, I would go on to be more productive in the rest of my day, um, because it creates a routine of thinking and executing daily, um, yeah, which I think yeah, is, is the whole point yeah. of October. Yeah. Yeah, it's this very results oriented, uh, you know, experience. Yeah, uh, and then again, yeah. when you were making the book um, and you finished your kind of October challenges, I seen also that there was a crossover as well where you you kind of dive back into Grunwald, you know, you know, even just slightly. Oh, uh, yeah, because yeah. <laughs> yeah, I actually had a lot of requests on the while I was doing the Inktober mm-hmm. to do tutorials because I'd sort of stopped doing them on my YouTube channel um, yeah. just as a function of time mostly. Yeah. Uh, and so I said, oh, I'd sort of gotten into this this groove on doing motorcycles a little bit. Yeah. Um, so I uh, decided I would jump in right after Inktober once my skills were sort of warmed up. Mm-hmm. Then it was an easy jump to go back in and do some tutorials on subjects that I may not have done in the past um, just because I'd been drawing them a lot. Yeah. So um, that was the opportunity. And I just had a little bit of downtime for two or three weeks right, uh, yeah. right after. So that was good. Yeah, and I mean, did you feel there was a, a nostalgia kind of kick there when you went back into the tutorial side of it? Did you teach it? Yeah, it was fun, actually. Yeah. yeah, it was fun. Um, I enjoyed it. And again, for me, that's kind of a fallback exercise in a way, yeah. like yeah. looking at my own career. Yeah. Now I've, I've I left education um, in the context of, you know, I no longer work at Art Center. I don't teach a lot of workshops anymore. Yeah. Um, and I stopped doing that. Yeah, I left Art Center about seven years ago, roughly, seven and a half. Wow. And and I did and that was really to finish the books. So right after I left there, then I finished how to draw, how to render. Right. So that was about three, four years ago, three years ago, how to render. And um since then I've been working on, you know, top secret stuff. Uh, so but jumping back to the education for me, like model building in a way, education for me. Uh, from if I look at my own career, is something I know I could always go and do, and I enjoy. Yeah. So it was kind of fun to return to that, and that's what I would do if all my other top secret stuff falls apart. I'd probably return, <laughs> return to education. Yeah. Hopefully, it doesn't fall apart, though, Scott. That's the that's the. Whole I, I hope not. Yeah. I hope not. <laughs> um, so I guess um, I'm probably just wondering as well because you've you've spent so much time with students and seen. So many people's you know careers flourish at this point um, into into entertainment. Do you feel there's kind of one piece of advice? Uh, I mean, it's hard to, to nail it down into one thing, obviously, but it's something that you could probably give on to people um, who listen to this podcast. Who are, a lot of them are students who find you know what is the first step I take or the next step, or how do I carve my own path into the industry? Um, is there any advice for just um, a generalization of you know good advice basically to get in the industry? Um, um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think at the end of the day, it's, it, there are always going to be, uh, good candidates with good skills. Yeah. Um, and if a, uh, studio manager, um, has an option mm. of, should I pick the people that have roughly equal skills, um, or maybe even one person's skills are a little bit better, but I can see that they're going to be high maintenance and a little bit difficult to work with yeah. versus the other person who's very pleasant. Um, and it's going to be really enjoyable to be around that person. Yeah. You know, who should I, who do I want to be around? Who do I want to yeah. give the job? Yeah. 
And I can tell you from personal experience, the one that you want to work with is the one that is pleasant to be around. So I think it's not so much about students picking a path or defining a path. It's Mm. more about uh, personality, to be honest. Um, And I would much rather have like a B-level student um, or say employee that has that has uh, curiosity right passion Mm. actually like to do the work right that's where they that's that's the what they enjoy doing with their time yeah Uh, and that they're really nice so um for me it's more about working on you know your your own personal your own you know who you are as a person yeah Uh, and don't think that just because you do amazing kick-ass work, that that's going to ensure that you have an amazing, you know, kick-ass future. So yeah, totally. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. It's only going to maybe gets your foot in the door. Yeah. But if you are don't keep an open mind and willing to learn and willing to work hard and, and show curiosity and passion for whatever the subject is, yeah. you're not going to last very long. Yeah, so, I mean, definitely at a hundred percent, I've seen it in people. Um, I mean, I, I, and honestly, I've I've not really seen a lot of it, but um, even some of the the best guys in the industry that I've initially met, um, like even my first interview I done way back, Titus Lunner, um, who at the time you know had just finished working with Ubisoft, but he was a big name in the industry, and a lot of people knew his work. Um, the first time I met the guy, um, well, firstly, obviously, he gave up his time to talk to me on the podcast, so that was great. And then when I first initially met him in industry workshops two years ago, um, you know, he was just so nice. He was, you know, like a regular guy. Like, he didn't really take the, the whole thing in his head that he had worked in these big projects or he had this kind of career behind them already at such a young age. Um, um, and, yeah, it's just been great, I think, to see people um, in this industry being so polite and so willing to give up time and talk. And um, it's almost like a, a family. You know, once you get to know an initial core of people, um, that yep. you know work well together. It's it's great because you help each other out. That's what you do, and it's it's been great. For exactly. Me. Yeah, me yep. as a student. So yeah. Yeah. So so know that you know, um, and and there your your sort of politeness and willing you know to be have an open mind and work with people needs to be um, genuine and authentic because you won't be able to sustain it yeah. uh, if it's not. not and true. and always keep an open mind towards. Um, always learning and trying new techniques um, and, and pushing yourself to improve your skill sets. Yep. Uh, because in the future, 10 years down the road, you may get a job offer because of who you are as an individual. Mm. Uh, when all things being equal, there are probably people that have better skills, um, but you really get you know invited on a job because of your personality. Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. And I've, I've seen it you know, time and time again where people have um, been patient with people and, and reached out and, and being polite about it and you know it's maybe take a, a few months for people to get back to them or you know there's been a slight delay but um the work does come i mean even you know initially i, you know, I just got my first job in the industry um in november i just reached out to a guy i'd networked with um and just said to him you know i, I know you're working on a project I'd, I'd be really happy to get involved um i'm really you know really keen on what you're doing um with the with the title and you know if anything uh, if i could help in any way it'd be great and um, I just waited, and you know, Nick got back to me and offered me an art test, which I done, and um, and then he was happy with that, and then yeah, I got started. Um, so it's it. I think it's just about um, being persistent and being patient and being polite. So it's like the three P's for me. You know what I mean? So it's there's a yeah, a hundred percent. It's 
just general life lesson, Scott. Don't be a dick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. It's just it, it, like at one level, it's just that simple, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, have an open mind, um, be open to education, keep, keep trying to perfect your craft and pushing your skills. And along the way, try to make friends. Um, and then again, uh, this is an interesting question I wanted to pose to you because so many people, you know, have talked about your book or your two books, you know, the, the, the books that have kind of, you know, set the standard for a lot of people in teaching and foundation skills. Um, you know, uh, a lot of people, even when they ask me now for advice on how to start and, and, and design or, you know, what, what to look on for books, I always point them to your two books, um, along with oh, a few that's... others. Yeah, and of course, no. Um, but on the flip side, moving forward, um, I don't know if it's something you've given a great thought, but I'd love to hear your opinion on, is there books that you would recommend that aren't your books or anything to do with design? Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 There's a whole bunch. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, the, one of my old students just came out with a book, um, on the creative process. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think his book is fantastic, uh, compliment to once you have some drawing skills and rendering skills, then how do you think? Right. So, um, his is that- book, um, Friedland, uh, Bessert, it's on the, it's on the design studio press website. Right. On the creative process. Right. I think it's called strategies. Right. Yep. Um, that's a great little guidebook for anybody who wants to understand, um, how to become a better designer. Um, and of course then there's a whole bunch of people, most of which are other design studio press books because, you know, we've tried to target from a sort of high level, um, educational perspective, who are the best in the world to work with. So right. people like Nathan Folks has a book now, oh, you know, work, yeah. and there's just like, yeah, we have 87 books in print now. And, and so you're oh. going to find sort of the, the best of the best on that side of it. Yeah. Uh, things that are not related to other design studio press books, mm-hmm. uh, tend to be more about, you know, philosophy and science yeah. <laughs> for me. No, no, that's uh, interesting as well. I'd love to hear what you think about that because so, I've just, I've just recently gone to meditation. So, <laughs> yeah. So one that I just finished, uh, my wife and I both read it this whole last year in 2017, um, uh, called the daily stoic. And so that, I thought that was a really great, it's like one philosophy lesson each day. The stoic stuff. Yeah. I've heard about that a lot. It does seem like an interesting path. Yeah. Um, so we just read that for the whole last year. That was fun. We're actually rereading it again this year. Um, it's just a quick read at breakfast sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so I enjoyed that quite a bit. Grand. Anyway, yeah. So oh, no, 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 I don't know if there was anything else beyond that, but yeah. Um, even science. I mean, I found that I actually just picked up Neil deGrasse Tyson's, um, Oh, yeah, astro- I love him. He's amazing. Astrophysics yeah. for people in a hurry. Like I just looked into that. Oh, yeah. I gotta get that. Yeah, that's that's a good read. Um, definitely a good read. Um, and I think also, um, again with me trying to start with stuff like meditation and then about a calmer mind, I've been trying to get books on stuff like Stoic, Buddhism, um, more philosophy books. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's also a good life lesson, right, for for just a general well being. But I think it does ha- it yeah. does help in art because your mind does race a lot in design, so it's good to be able to switch it off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, have you found that? Have you found that? With your work balance, because your work is so intense sometimes, because you work on such big projects, do you find that it's almost been a necessity to have that side as well, that balance? Yeah, I got to keep the balance. For me, it's cycling. So getting out on my bike like three three days a week, uh-huh. that helps a lot. Yeah. 
and then building um your your car as well is that still yeah ongoing? my truck yeah my truck is ongoing yeah it sat for about I did a, actually a lot of work this last summer on the interior uh but it's been sort of sitting until my piggy bank fills back up again and then I can start <laughs> up so it's been a slow kind of grind because my other top secret stuff has been a lot of startup company things which you know right. Putting in sweat equity, so no paycheck. Yeah, totally. No, I, I mean that's great that you're setting up these these future endeavors for yourself. But um, but yeah, so it, I mean it's it's an interesting site where um, there's just not enough time to talk to you, Scott, because I think a lot of people, um, your life has been so diverse with people you've interacted with or things you've done in your career. Um, but I mean, I, I suppose I would just want to ask before we go is, is there any one project that you've done in the past that has stood out to you and maybe why? Um, well, for me, it would probably it would it would be the two uh, educational books. Right. Probably, I mean, Design Studio Press sort of as a highlight, like sharing the creative process, uh, publishing student work as part of that endeavor, and my own work and friends' work. Yeah. Um, but then probably the two educational books are something I feel really good about. You know, sort of in the end, not getting too philosophical, but things that get left behind. I feel yeah. good about those, those as products. Yeah. Um, I think even James. Well, you know, Gunning. maybe uh, yeah, maybe when you post this up, if people have questions, a Q and A, then we could uh, we can do another one and we can answer the questions that people post on the oh, comments yeah. oh, that section. Would be, that would be great, Scott. <laughs> Any more time with you is fantastic. Um, yeah, well, uh, you heard it here, guys. Scott's willing to do a Q and A. Yeah, put the questions in the comments section, and then you know, in a few weeks or a month, then we can address those questions. Yeah, that would be that would be fantastic, Scott. Thank you very much for offering that. Um, sure. Yeah, so I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I don't know how to end this this podcast because it's been incredible. It's just been um, an absolute pleasure talking to you again, Scott. Um, oh yeah, yeah, likewise. Yeah, no, nice to hear the accent. So, <laughs> yeah. are you planning to come back to Scotland at any point, or? Uh, not right now. Yeah. Uh, but we really enjoyed it. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's beautiful there. No, it's. It, 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 I think your tagline at the moment with the Scottish Tourism Board is the greatest small country in the world. And um, I've been to a lot of places, and I feel that yeah, Scotland does have that thing that a lot a lot of places don't. And I don't know if it's because I was born and raised here, but yeah, the Scottish people are hardy people, and um, they come from good stock. So yeah, it's... no, that I just I love the inventiveness. I mean, I love the the when you really dig deep on on how many things and the the quality of engineering and thought and invention yep. uh, culturally, it's just great. Yeah, and I think it's good as well because um, we just um, greenlit a, a project. Well, the, the government did. We were building um, this million-dollar movie studio uh, in Edinburgh, or just outside Edinburgh, um, because the hope is that there will be more entertainment design coming to Scotland. You know, because the Avengers just filmed here, the, the Infinity War thing, they've done a, a bit in Edinburgh, a uh, train station. Um, so the Scottish government's trying to make that a bigger incentive for companies to come and film here. Um, Very so, cool. Yeah, well, they're trying to make it, uh, I think, Scotland the cultural hub for movie, no, entertainment and music um, by 2020. So, yeah, a lot more um, great developing things coming in the years to come. But, yeah, so, no, you need to come back sometime at uh, one time. And, um, i got to come back get some haggis. Yeah, so. definitely. Yeah, I, I want to just see the best place in town. Um, good, good. I had it three times when I was there two years ago. Yeah, so. yeah. People give it such a bad, a bad rep. But, um, oh, it was, like, surprisingly good. Yeah, so. yeah. No, it's good. It's good. Um, so yeah, again, it's just to thank you, Scott, for coming on. Um, oh, sure, my pleasure. Yep. And again, guys, uh, Scott was saying, leave some comments. We'll get to uh, a Q&A, hopefully, down the line. Um, and then, again, appropriate, um, just to kind of shout out, um, they guys give away free codes every month on the podcast. Um, I've never had any comments yet, but hopefully getting towards 
a thousand subscribers we might start getting some some activity so if you guys comment below on why you want to win a copy of procreate um i'll pick a random winner and um, give you guys a free code and uh yeah that's pretty much it so um thanks again to scott for coming on and oh, sure. um, i'll speak to you guys later bye cheers bye